It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you today on this February winter morning here on the Jersey Shore? Kind of cold weekend we have here finally. It's been kind of a warm winter here on the Jersey Shore. And uh, it is obviously early February, so it should be cold, and it is cold here in the Northeast. Thanks for joining us. If you're listening live here on 92.7 WOBM, welcome to our Sunday morning program. If you're listening to the very popular podcast we have on Podomatic at thefinancialphysician.com, thanks for joining us whatever time or day you are listening to the program. Phone number here is 732-237-9626. How are you doing today, Paul? Good morning, Lou. I had a very exciting morning. Um... I'm driving. You know, it's early in the morning when I get here. I leave my house around 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. Uh, so I'm driving, and I look down at my gas gauge, and it's done. <laughs> it's it's buried under E. Uh, and you know, usually on, on the dashboard, it'll tell you how many miles you have to empty. Well, it was already past that. It was just low fuel, like, get the hell to a gas station as soon as you can. So I'm still about five or six miles away from the studio. I'm on the parkway, and I'm saying to myself, and I just passed the rest stop. Just passed it. And I said to myself, uh-oh, this car is going to run out of gas. I'm going to be on the side of the parkway uh, 15 minutes before the show starts. What do I do? Uh, do I walk four miles with all my stuff and try to get here for the second hour? <laughs> what do I do? Actually, I would have called you, Paul, and you would have came and got me. But, oh. uh, <laughs> but, but I was panicking. So I made it. I made it. I'm in the parking lot. Now, the question is, can I make it to Route 37 and get... To a gas station without running out of gas on Main Street. Uh, so, uh, very exciting morning, but at least I got here. I'll deal with the after effects after uh, the show's over. I'll deal with it. Uh, but at least it didn't happen prior to the show because that would have been. And, and that's my biggest nightmare. Since I started this show 23 years ago, especially in the beginning, I used to have regular nightmares of not being able to get to the studio on time. Some of them would be like, I don't know the way. Uh, and I just can't find it. Uh, and we're getting closer to airtime. And, and you know how you have a dream, like you can't really verbalize sometimes, like you can't talk. So I'm trying to ask people how to get to the studio and I can't get the words out. Uh, so that's one of my big fears is, is missing the show. Uh, and here I am this morning saying, oh my God, this is exactly what you feared all those years. But I'm here. Thank God. Lots to talk about, as usual. A week doesn't go by that there isn't a multitude of things that happen uh, that we talk about here on the program. Some economic, some political, uh, some politically correct or incorrect. We'll talk about that later in the program. Uh, but let's start the show off. Uh, the first hour tends to be economic and financial. So we're going to start off talking about the Federal Reserve met this week, uh, you know, if you follow financial markets at all, you follow the economy and all, it's all about the Federal Reserve. 
In my uh, first show of uh, the year, it was podcast only, but it was the January 1st, I did my forecast show. And that show is still available at thefinancialphysician.com. All my shows are there. Just go to Podomatic. They're all there. Uh, I talked about two of the most driving forces of the, the markets and the economy this year. And, and one of them is the Federal Reserve. And what is it going to do in response to this 40-year inflation situation we have? The other thing is what happens in Ukraine with Russia. Those are going to be the two driving forces of the world economy, financial markets, and everything. But let's talk about the Fed. Because what the Fed does is control interest rates, controls the money supply. The Fed has more power than it probably should. We've talked about that in previous shows, and I'm sure I'll do a show in the future. We'll go over the forming of the Federal Reserve. What it is it is it constitutional? What powers it has? And um, it has so much power over you. Most people don't think that the Federal Reserve affects them. It affects you. It affects your ability to afford a mortgage, afford a car payment. Uh, it's causing credit card interest rates to rise, and so many Americans are buried in credit card debt. Uh, it affects unemployment. Uh, so the Fed controls your life. And wait till we get to uh, central bank digital currencies. Then we're going to really talk about control. But the Fed met this week, and, you know, if you recall, starting last March, the Fed started to raise interest rates, raised interest rates every meeting, and they meet every six weeks or so. Uh, uh, they, they even did two or three, three-quarter of a percent increases, which were, 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 were quite significant. Haven't even shown up in the economy yet because of six to 12-month lag here. So the Fed met on February 1st, and no surprise to anybody, raised interest rates one-quarter of one percent. Now, that's nothing. I mean, a quarter of 1% is nothing. You know, they, they could have raised it zero. It wouldn't have mattered because a quarter of a percent, it could make a difference. But the fact is, is the Fed is still raising interest rates. And uh, everybody, you know, wants to see, everybody knew the interest rate was going to go up a quarter percent. I mean, they always forecast this stuff ahead of time. So, you know, there's no surprise to the markets. But what the markets are looking for is, is what the Fed says going forward. Are they going to continue to raise interest rates? How do they view inflation? Is it slowing? Uh, are they going to pause? Are they going to pivot? You know, people are looking at every single word that goes in the Fed statement. And then Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, he does a press conference. And then what's said in that press conference can affect markets as well. So when they announced uh, uh, that they were going to raise interest rates a quarter of a percent to four and a half to four and three quarter percent range on the federal funds rate, uh, which was the smallest rate hike in the year. Uh, Again, it was telegraphed by many Fed officials, so there's no surprise there. And the Fed statement, it left in the language that it saw ongoing increases in the target range, which means there's going to be at least one more interest rate hike planned. Now, initially, the stock market went down. And then Powell did his press conference, and he was more dovish. Dovish meaning like, well, you know, we're going to have to see what happens. You know, inflation uh, is getting a little bit better. Um, It's less, uh, it's going up less than it was last summer. Uh, And he goes on to say, he goes, quote, was a little bit less strident than he had been in December when I think he almost sounded annoyed that credit condition had eased and he almost sounded like markets were working to uh, 
at cost purposes, meaning that the markets were going up in January. And that's not what he wants. He wants your 401k to go down. Because it's these crazy markets that we've seen the last few years that are giving people more money in their portfolios, which makes them spend more, which increases inflation. So what he wants is he wants you out of work. He wants you not spending money. He wants your 401k to go down. He wants interest rates in the bond market to go up. He wants mortgage rates to go up so the housing market goes down. He wants to kill the economy to kill inflation. So when uh, when the markets go up, he don't like it. So the markets reacted extremely positive to his press conference because it looks like, you know, March is going to get a quarter percent hike. That's a sure bet. Then after that, all bets are off because it's going to be data dependent. And that's a key word there, data dependent. So the markets um, interpreted this as meaning that the Fed is almost done raising interest rates, maybe another quarter point maybe two quarter points, then it'll it'll level off and stay at the same rate for a while. Then ultimately, as the recession kicks in that the Fed caused, we will see um, maybe even a lowering of interest rates later this year. That's what the market's interpreting it. And the markets wound, wound up going higher, uh, significantly higher that day. So we don't really know what the Fed's going to do because it changes um, every meeting and the data changes all the time. So we don't know. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about um, uh, the labor market uh, in just a second because one of the things that the Fed is looking at is jobless claims, looking at uh, job creation or losses. Again, the Fed wants job losses they want the unemployment rate to go up right you got to you got to um, squash the economy to get inflation down and if you're old enough to recall Paul Volcker back in, in the early 80s who raised interest rates to 18% uh why did he do that he wanted to kill the economy to kill inflation <clears throat> it's kind of like a scorched earth policy uh, and sure enough, he did. He caused a major recession in the early 80s. Uh, and and, and it, it did the job. It, it killed the inflationary spike that we had then, which is very similar to the inflation we have now. The problem is, is the Fed's at 4.5% and may make one more interest rate increase, which is, you know, let's say four and three quarters to five. Uh, that's not 18%. And we have the same inflation that we had 40 years ago. As a matter of fact, five, four, four and a half, five percent isn't even what the inflation rate is now. And the Fed knows that they can't raise interest rates um, that high. Now, we also saw the yield on the 10-year Treasury bond go down after the Fed raised interest rates. And why would that happen? Because the market, the bond market thinks the Fed is almost done. And the bond market believes that the next move by the Fed will be to lower interest rates later this year or in early 2024. And think about it. The markets always look ahead. Right? They, they, they don't care about what's happening right now. They care what's going to happen three months, six months down the line. And they believe that the Fed you know, is getting close to being done. Now, oddly enough, the Fed's increase in interest rates may be good news for the housing sector. Why would you say that? 
All right, because again, as you get close to the end of the hiking cycle, right, the Fed raising interest rates does not directly impact mortgage rates. It indirectly does because mortgage rates are determined by the yield on a 10-year Treasury bond, which has been going up last year as the Fed's been raising rates, but it's come down significantly from its high. The high was over 4% and it closed at 3.5% this week. Mortgage rates that were at seven and a quarter at the high are now down about 6.3%. Actually, the 30-year average, um, the average national average for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage this week was 6.32%. Almost a full point lower than it was last year. So uh, people now expecting mortgage rates to drop, ending the year closer to 5%. Uh, which if that happens, then this big housing correction that we're expecting or even housing crash may not happen. Which means the Fed is going to fail in their policy of trying to destroy the economy, destroy the housing market, destroy the stock market, destroy the bond market, and destroy inflation. Now, one thing that was really perplexing is some of the job numbers are coming out. You would think that with the Fed raising rates that we would start seeing unemployment start to go up. We'd start seeing job losses on a monthly basis. We'd see the higher you know unemployment rate. We'd see higher claims each week for unemployment. And the numbers are just the opposite. Now, we're going to talk about are these numbers real or not? Uh, I don't believe they are. But the fact, I don't believe any numbers that come out of the government are real. I mean, I've said that for years. It's not something new, but I think it's even worse now. So here's the headline. U.S. jobless claims dropped to a nine-month low of 183,000, even as more firms announce layoffs. And that's the perplexing thing. Every week, we're hearing tech firms laying off 10,000, Amazon 15,000. I mean, it just goes on and on. All these Philips uh, 6,000. I mean, it just goes on and on, uh, companies that are laying off people. But meanwhile, they're saying that jobless claims are at a nine-month low. How do, how do you reconcile that? These numbers, I mean, 183,000 is, is a low amount of people claiming unemployment for the week. And it's if it's right, it signals that the U.S. labor market is still strong even though corporations every day are announcing layoffs. Uh, Also, it was announced on Friday, and the announcement on Friday was stunning, okay? Uh, They announced that 517,000 jobs were created in January. Uh, Economists expected, I don't know, 185,000. So, I mean, that's multiples of what was expected. And the unemployment rate dropped uh, to, uh, what was it, 3.4%. That's the lowest level in 54 years. While the Fed is raising interest rates and companies are laying people off like crazies. How could this happen? Well, because the Bureau of Labor Statistics unveiled a slew of data revisions, seasonal adjustments, in other words, fantasy jobs. Uh, they're not real. As a matter of fact, if you look at 
the jobs number before adjustments. We lost two and a half million jobs in January, not created five. How do you have a three million job swing? Because of fake numbers are released by the government. And then the fake news media trumpets it. Nobody questions it. They just say, wow, what a stunning jobs number. How great that is. The blockbuster jobs report. And then Biden comes trotting out, taking all kinds of credit for the good job numbers. The economy is great right now. But the economy actually lost two and a half million jobs. If you just look at it straight up, without the adjustments, just a survey, two and a half million jobs were lost last month. That's horrible. But every month, government bureaucrats apply quote-unquote adjustments to the numbers that they believe are appropriate. And at this point, their adjustments have become so absurd that they've turned this monthly jobs number into a joke. It really is. And I've said this for years on this. Uh, the Bureau of Labor to S- Statistics, BLS, I just take the L out and just go BS because that's what it is. Like I said, every week I've been telling you this tremendous wave of layoffs over the last several months. Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Lyft, Twitter, Walmart, McDonald's, they're all laying people off. But meanwhile, a blockbuster jobs report. We're supposed to believe this. We're supposed to believe that the U.S. economy is actually so good right now that it's adding jobs at a very, very brisk pace. And it's not true. Doesn't make any sense at all. And, of course, uh, the the fake media is totally buying it. CNBC um, came out and said that the employment picture started off 2023 in a stunningly strong move with non-foreign payrolls posting their biggest gain since July. So they don't question this. But if you just look under the hood and just look at the numbers, you'll see what happened. Uh, and uh, and everybody runs with it. Moody's chief economist, Mark Zandi, boldly declared that any concerns about a coming recession should be completely dashed by these numbers. They're fake numbers. So if you look at it, you know, it's right there in the report, the unadjusted number showed that the U.S. economy lost two and a half million jobs in January. And that was reported by Bloomberg. But then with all the adjustments they brought in, they added three million jobs that simply do not exist. And it makes the U.S. economy look like it's doing great. And again, needless to say, uh, Joe Biden was quite eager to take credit for the spectacular jobs report. And he told reporters he takes no responsibility for the raging inflation. Did did you see this? He came out and said that. He said, um, he was asked, you know, are you responsible for the inflation everybody's starting, you know, currently witnessing and experiencing? And he replied with an emphatic no. He said, it was already there when I got here, man. Well, inflation was 1.4% in January of 2021. Uh now it's six and a half percent. It was nine percent in July. Um, so this is what it's all about. You know, we live in a, a time of deception, propaganda, 
You can't believe anything you hear, whether it's on the news, the, the, the TV, uh, whether it's in the newspapers, uh, websites, uh, social media. It's all controlled propaganda. Except for this show. <laughs> it's the only one you hear where you don't get that. Uh, but uh, but that's what it is. Now, uh, uh, I mean, it's just nobody questioned it. That's the part of it that really... Uh, really bothers me is that these these media companies all they have to do is do some homework and look at it and say no I didn't hear one person on TV say well the economy actually lost two and a half million I didn't know about that until I was preparing for this show and I did a little more research uh, and 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 more layoffs are coming uh, the housing market, you know, is going to continue to go down. Housing starts are going down. Construction jobs are going down. I mean, you can look at every every metric of the economy uh, is not good. But meanwhile, they're going to come out and tell you how great the job market is. As a matter of fact, economic conditions are, are just deteriorating, and, and it's much worse than you're being told. First of all, prices have been moving up much, much uh, more than wages have. Which means that our standard of living is declining. Think about that. I mean, everything costs you more that you have to pay for, from utilities to groceries to gasoline, and your salary's not going up enough to make up the difference. So there's no question that your standard of living is going down. And it's making it more difficult for, for, for American households to make it month to month. As you'll see in a second when I tell you some numbers that are out there. You know, more than a third of Americans, U.S. adults, I'm not talking about 20. I'm talking about 30, 40, and 50. A third of U.S. adults are actually relying on their parents to pay at least some of their bills at this point. I'm talking about a 50-year-old having his mother pay rent or his utilities. But even more alarming is what's been happening to what's called real disposable income. Disposable income is the money you have left over when you pay for the fixed expenses that you have to pay for. Your rent, your mortgage, your utilities, your cable bill, your cell phone bill, your gasoline for your car to get to work. Your insurances. That's not considered disposable income. Disposable income is what's left over afterwards that you could spend on a restaurant or uh, going out and, you know, buying some new clothes or taking a trip or something. So in the GDP report that, that was released for the fourth quarter, real disposable income declined. The decline in, in disposable income was actually $1 trillion in 2022. The decline was the largest we've seen since 1932 at the height of the Depression. Just think about that for a moment. The worst year of the Great Depression is the only time we saw real disposable income drop. I'm not talking about a dollar amount. I'm talking about a percent. And as um, our incomes get squeezed and squeezed and squeezed uh, with inflation, uh, more and more Americans are starting to fall behind on their bills. But everything's great. Here's an example. The, the, the proportion of subprime auto buyers that are at least 60 days behind in their payments has surged to the highest level we've seen since 2008. What happened in 2008? The great financial crisis, right? 
In December, the percentage of subprime auto borrowers who were at least 60 days late on their bills climbed to 5.67%, a major increase from a seven-year low of 2.58% in April 2021. Now, in April 2021, we were all getting stimulus payments, right? So we were able to pay our car payments. That's no longer the case. Um, and we're, we're starting to see a tsunami of repossessions. The largest we've seen since the Great Recession. And it's only going to get worse in the months ahead. If you're thinking about buying a used car, wait six months. Uh, there's going to be so much, so many used cars on the market. That, it, you know, we saw a couple of years ago, used cars were, were selling for more than new cars. It was crazy. Uh, we're going to see the opposite of that in the months ahead. <laughs> a lot a lot of people are hide, hiding their vehicles uh, so they don't get repossessed overnight. You know, they're hiding them a couple of blocks down and hiding them in other people's garages and stuff. Um, and, and it's sad because, you know, the country right now is just barely scraping by. Uh, the majority of households in the in, in the country. A recent survey discovered that 57% of Americans can't even afford to pay a $1,000 emergency expense right now. 57%. And as I said before, in a different survey, a whopping 35% of all U.S. adults are still relying on mom and dad to pay at least some of their bills. According to a new poll of 2,000 Americans, the top three expenses their parents still pay for them are rent. 19% of Americans have their parents paying their rent. Groceries, 19%. Utilities, 16%. Almost a quarter, 24% of millennials, say their parents cover their rent. They probably cover their rent because they don't want them home. (laughs) So they'll pay their rent, just get the hell out of the house. Uh... But, you know, economic conditions are only going to get worse in the months ahead as more and more people lose their jobs, regardless of what the government wants to tell you. I mean, I could spend a half hour, 45 minutes just naming each company that laid off thousands of people in the last few months. Now, uh, economists, at least good economists uh, are saying that uh, the full impact of this economic downturn isn't really going to be felt until the second half of 2023 when these interest rate increases start, you know, we start feeling the effect of it. Uh, And he said that, uh, here's an economist, uh, according to one Wall Street economist, a looming recession this year will feel more like the 1970s than the 2008-2009 slump. But I think they're wrong. You know, he, he says that it's going to be more like 1973, 1974, if you can remember that time. Uh, I was 13, so I, I barely remember it, but I do remember the oil embargo and everything like that. But I think it's going to be more like the 1930s. That's what I think it's going to be like. And that's because of the amount of debt that the average family is holding right now which is continuing to continuing to go up. Uh, here's a headline. Uh, this is disturbing. Uh, credit card balances surge as inflation and interest rates create hardships for cash-strapped Americans, says TransUnion. That's the credit reporting agency. So they could see what everybody's balances are. And they're going to say higher prices are driving more Americans to credit card debt. 
That's according to a TransUnion report on credit activity in the fourth quarter of 2022. The analysis, published Wednesday, shows credit card balances hit a record $931 billion in the fourth quarter of last year. Listen to this, up 18.5% from the the same time last year. So Americans have added almost 20% to their credit card balances in one year. That's amazing. It's it's almost $200 billion. Um, in the third quarter of 2022, almost 22 million Americans um, got a new credit card. As people need credit. I mean, they, they can't afford to live. And that's dangerous. Now we're seeing more young Americans, Generation Zs, Zers, who were born after 1996, saw their credit card balances rise even faster. Listen to this. Up 64% in the fourth quarter of 2022 compared to a year earlier. Wow. That's incredible. This is a terrible way to live. In my book, The Financial Physician, I, I, I state that, that that credit card debt is cancer to the financial body. It is the worst debt you possibly could have. And at the same time, we see credit card companies raising the interest rates on these ever-increasing balances, uh, which is a disaster. I mean, I just said 57% of people can't afford a $1,000 emergency that happens. Right, so how, what are they going to do? They're going to whip out the credit card, assuming they have any credit line left on it, uh, to to make that payment. Delinquencies on credit card debt are also rising. Personal loan balances hit a record of two hundred and twenty-two billion. So this is not credit cards. You go to a bank and you have an unsecured personal loan. First of all, the interest rates are through the roof when you try to do that. Uh, but if you qualify. Um, Listen to this. In 2022, the balances on personal loans, unsecured, went from $167 billion to $222 billion. Wow. That's a huge increase. 32% in 2022. Amazing. One good thing is uh, the government, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, um, is proposing uh, to reduce late fees charged by credit card companies by as much as $9 billion a year. You know, credit card companies, you're a day late. They charge you $35, $45. They want you to be late. <laughs> they, they make a ton of money on these late fees. One day late. You're going to get hit with that. So the government is trying to uh, bring out some regulations that will, I guess, lower that or give a little bit more flexibility uh, in how they charge you on this. Um, Of course, the banking industry uh, quickly voiced their objections to the plan. Um, They want to lower the amount of a missed payment to $8 from as much as 41 now and end an automatic annual inflation adjustment. And it would also prohibit late fees uh, amounts higher than 25% of the consumer-required payment. So you may owe 50 bucks this month. They'll charge you 40 bucks for a late fee if you're late. Uh, under that scenario, they can only charge you 25%. 
So this is what the, the Bankers Association, the American Bankers Association said. Reductions in late fee, safe harbor fees would have a significant adverse effect on a substantial number of community banks and credit unions with assets below $850 million, many of which would be forced to exit the credit card market altogether. This, in turn, would reduce competition and access to credit. Right, so these companies would be so adversely affect affected by not charging you late fees. That's not what the model is supposed to be. The model is supposed to be people pay on time and they're making money on the thirty percent interest they're charging. This is a joke. This is another joke by the bankers. I mean, uh, the bankers they're making um, twelve billion a year in fees. Late fees alone, 12, uh, $12 billion a year. That's an incredible amount of money. And if they're charging an average of 20% on a credit card debt, that's almost a trillion a year, they're making $200 billion in interest. And of course, no, 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 you can't lower our, 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 our late fees. Banks will go out of business. They'll go out of the credit card business if we do that. Uh, let's go to financial markets. Like I said earlier, the Fed lowered, uh, raised interest rates a quarter of a point. The market took it very, very good, as if it's close to the end. The Dow was flat for the week. It was down 0.15, virtually unchanged, up 2.35% for the year. And the Dow was the, the worst performing index. Uh, it was the best performing index to the downside last year, and it's a Worst performing index to the upside this year. It's only up 2.35% for the year. Uh, the S&P 500 was up 1.62% for the week. And, and, and compare this to the down. The S&P is up 7.75% year to date. I mean, it's only a month and a week. That's a good year usually for the stock market. So good start for the S&P. But even better is the NASDAQ that got creamed in 2022, down 31%. In 2022, the Nasdaq for the week was up 3.31% while the Dow was flat, which means money is starting to flow back into these tech companies uh, that are still overvalued, uh, that got killed last year. The Nasdaq is up almost 15% year to date. I mean, that's an incredible year, let alone a month or so. Now, do I think it's going to be you know a great year in the stock market? I do not. Because the second half of the year, I think, is going to be dreadful. It's the reasons why I outlined earlier in the program. 10-year Treasury bond now yields 3.52%. 30-year mortgage, as I stated earlier, 6.32%. Oil is coming down all of a sudden. Uh, Oil, uh, I think last week, I think I said it was $80 a barrel. It's $73.23 today. And I'm also noticing that gasoline prices are starting to creep lower again. Uh, my local Wawa, uh, where I get my gas, which I should have got this morning, uh, <laughs> uh, um, I saw it today as it was like 3.33. Uh, just last week, it was 3.49. Uh, so at least temporarily, we're seeing uh, oil and gasoline prices coming down, which is a good thing. Um Precious metals responded very poorly uh, to the Fed statement, which is kind of interesting because the other markets thought it was very bullish, uh, but the gold and silver market reacted as if it was very bearish, that the Fed's going to continue to raise rates, which is going to be strong for the dollar, uh, which is negative for gold, and uh, uh, gold dropped below $1,900 an ounce this week, closing at 1877 
Uh, silver dropped from twenty four to twenty two thirty one. You know, significant drop. Uh, and uh, th- 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 there's a disconnect there. Why? Why would gold and silver and the dollar take what the Fed says to be bearish, uh, whereas the stock market and the bond market took it to be bullish? Good question. Bitcoin has uh, had a pretty good year. It's uh, over 23,000. So after um, bottoming out at 16,000, and I think it was December, uh, it's it's had quite a bit of a rebound. So, so far, so good in the financial markets. But I think the financial markets are really dangerous right now. I just think that they're whistling through the graveyard here. Uh, interest rates, I, I think they're making the mistake that the Fed's going to lower interest rates soon. And I'm not so sure that they're going to do that. I mean, they're coming out and saying they're not. Um but the market doesn't take what the Fed says to be genuine. Uh, but we'll see as 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 the um, as the year progresses. All right, let's take a break. Seven three two two three seven nine six two six is the call number. My name is Luska Tigna. Don't go away. Luska Tigna here, certified financial planner, president of AFM Investments, and the host of the Financial Physician. You heard every Sunday, seven to nine a.m. right here on ninety two point seven WOBM FM. Hey, it's that time again, income tax season. There has been many changes to tax rules the last few years. Some deductions have been eliminated and some have been expanded. Avoid IRS headaches by putting my 35 years tax preparation experience to work for you. I guarantee that your return will be accurate and in most cases will be prepared and ready for you in less than three business days. This season, I'm taking on a limited number of new tax clients. Call for an appointment today and receive a $100 discount off our already reasonable fee. Tax season does not have to be stressful anymore. Call and lock up your appointment at our downtown Tom's River office by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. AFM Investments has been providing financial planning and income tax preparation for over 35 years. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member FINRA, NSIPC, registered investment advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer. Top quality work at the most affordable rates. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. 
I'm Lou Scatigna, certified financial planner, author, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician, heard each Sunday morning, 7 to 9, right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com. Don't let interest rates, inflation, and market volatility keep you awake at night. Come to my Tom's River office for a no-obligation professional diagnosis of your financial health. I'll review your investments, income taxes, and retirement plan. I'll suggest a comprehensive financial and estate plan that will improve your financial health and, most importantly, lower your financial risk during these uncertain times. If you are retired or plan to retire, I will show you strategies designed to increase your income and protect your estate from nursing home costs. Call us at 732-905-8100 and get on the road to a healthy financial future. That's 732-905-8100. Join me Sunday morning, 7 to 9, for The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM or listen to the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member of FINRA and SIPC, Registered Investment Advisory Service through Fortitude Advisory Group. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. All right. Uh, my name is Luz Katigna, certified financial planner, tax accountant, and your money doctor each and every Sunday here on the financial physician. We talk money, markets, politics, and anything that affects your life. If you got a personal finance question or a comment on the program, welcome to join us at 732-237-9626. Uh, if you're just getting up or you just stumbled on upon the program or you just sleep late, uh, go to church. Uh, no problems. We have the full program available to you on the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Paul has it up right after the show's over. So um, at 9 o'clock, the show will be available at thefinancialphysician.com where you can last listen to our our two-hour program. Uh, last week was a record uh, number of plays and downloads of the program, uh, which grows each and every year, uh, each and every week, I should say. And, and I thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast and sharing it with uh, friends and family. Um, send a link uh, on some social media and help us grow this show because on this show we talk about things that you don't hear elsewhere. Uh, and uh, I want to talk about the debt limit. You know, I, I was meant to talk about this last week because this is really going to be a knife fight. Uh, you know, every every two years or so we go through this exercise where uh, we hit the debt ceiling. Now, that's, that's a misnomer because ceilings usually can't be lifted uh but you know the debt ceiling has been lifted a hundred times it's kind of a joke uh, and i don't know why we put ourselves through this as a nation uh every couple of years uh but we do uh the debt ceiling was created in 1918 and it was originally set at 11.5 billion dollars and then they raised it in 1939 to 45 billion dollars uh, and they've uh, raised it continuously, uh, I think, a hundred times since then. Uh, so now we're at thirty-one point four trillion dollars, uh, and um, the federal debt, as a percentage of our, our GDP, is a whopping hundred and twenty percent. We eclipsed a hundred percent of GDP in twenty fourteen, uh, and the last time we hit a hundred percent of GDP was. Um, in the aftermath of World War II, with all the money we spent then. So we're at 120% of GDP. So that's a bad sign. If you go back in history and you look at, at, at um, governments and countries, you know, when they hit that 100% level, 
uh, it's the beginning of the end for that country, for its currency and everything else. So we're at 120% of GDP, and now we're going to have negotiations to raise it. Now, of course, the Biden administration wants no negotiations. Just raise it. Now, the Republicans in Congress, especially the, um, uh, what do you call it, the Freedom Caucus, the MAGA Republicans, you know, say our debt is out of control. And and many of these people were elected because they're going to deal with this crazy debt situation and budget deficit that we have. So we've hit the debt limit a couple of weeks ago. So the Treasury can no longer issue new debt, new bonds, new Treasury bills or anything else. Now, they say they'll be able to pay, you know, any bills that we have probably through June by taking what they call, quote unquote, extraordinary measures to free up some cash. And what they're really doing is you shift the money around from government accounts, including pensions and things like that. Uh, And they could do that, but they're going to run out of these gimmicks, you know, probably by June and uh, maybe early June. Now, usually the debt ceiling issue is not satisfied until we hit that time where push comes to shove and you you know there's no more money they they could borrow steal or whatever from social security from the pension system whatever and then sometimes we even have a government shutdown you remember those in the past right and the republicans always get blamed for it well the government wouldn't shut down if you just would have raised that ceiling well, the Republicans are like, we can't spend into ourselves into oblivion and have hyperinflation and, and, and have us all poor. Uh, so this goes on, on, and on, and on, and on. Now, uh, the debt is going up extra, uh, exponentially right now. Now, Biden, uh, last week, um, once in a while, he tells the truth about something, but he doesn't know he's telling the truth. This is what he said about how much debt He's added to uh, the government, um, the country's uh, debt. No president added more to the debt in four years than my president. I, I spoke 25% of our country's entire debt. <laughs> so he, so he's, he doesn't know, know what he's saying. Uh, he misspoke. Of course he misspoke. Uh, but he, uh, uh, he added 25%. He sounds like he's proud of that for some reason, didn't it? It's not like he's proud of it. Uh, no president added more to the debt in four years than my president. What does that mean, my president? Who's your president, Joe? <laughs> Who is it? I don't want to know. We have all want to know who the real president is in this country. Boy, was that, was that a Freudian slip? I don't know. So he said, no president added more to the debt in four years than my president. First of all, he, has, he hasn't been president for four years. He's been president for two. Um, was he talking about Trump? Is Trump his president? I don't know what he's talking about. Then he, oh, I mistoke, 25% of our country's entire debt. So keep an eye on this. I, I, I believe that, I, I don't know what I believe anymore with this debt ceiling crap because... You know, every two years we go through the same thing, and it's drama, and it never helps the Republicans, because the Republicans are always blamed if there's going to be a shutdown or whatever. So here we are, Biden administration says they're not going to negotiate anything on this, just raise it. The Republicans are saying uh, that they're not going to raise it without some deal to lower spending. Uh, And uh, McCarthy, who's now beholden to 20 conservative Republicans um, 
It's really going to come down to, uh, it's going to be a game of chicken. And uh, like I said, it's not going to get serious um, until probably late May. There'll be negotiations. There'll be go back and forth. Um, but it's going it's to be a knife fight to the end. And uh, sooner or later, who's going to cave? I don't know. There'll be some kind of a deal eventually, but not after the, not until the Republicans get bloodied. Because the Democrats always like this because they get to blame the Republicans for shutting down the government. And by the way, the government never really shuts down. National Park shut down. The Monument shut down. The Smithsonian shuts down. Uh, but um, you still get your Social Security check. You still Medicare still pays for your doctor's visit and everything else. Hey, Paul, did you ever hear the, the term home equity theft? Home? No. Okay. This is the deal. All right. In many states, New Jersey is one of them. If you do not pay any of your property taxes for, for some reason, it could be $50 short or whatever, they have a right to seize your house. We know that. You've heard of tax sales before and stuff like that, right? Uh, but uh, they could sell you a house. You could owe them $1,000 in taxes. They could seize your house and se- take 100000 equity and not just take the taxes they owe and give you the rest of the equity. Do you, that's called home equity theft. Now, there's a, 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 a court case that's going to the Supreme Court to deal with this. And, and here's the story. And this and multiple people have experienced this. The government seized an elderly Minnesota woman's home over twenty three hundred in unpaid property taxes, sold it and pocketed the proceeds. The, the Supreme Court just agreed to hear the case. In 1999, Geraldine Tyler bought a one bedroom condo in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, that she called home until 2010 when rising crime in the neighborhood alarmed her and her family, so she rented an apartment in a safer area. After she moved, she had financial difficulties about uh, and about 2300 in unpaid property taxes accrued on the condo. So obviously she moved and she didn't sell it. Now, I don't know if she rented it out or whatever. In 2015, the total tax debt, penalties and interest and fees Tyler owed Hennepin County, Minnesota was 15000 the government seized her condo and sold it for 40000 But the county didn't just keep the 15000 she owed them. They pocketed the entire $40,000 proceeds from the sale. Tyler is now 93 years old and lives in an assisted living facility. Uh, the Pacific Legal Foundation is providing pro bono representation to Tyler as she seeks to regain the equity that Hennepin County took from her. Uh, and there's 12 states that allow this, including New Jersey. And this is what's called home equity theft. Why should the government take more than is necessary to satisfy the tax lien, right? You would think that would make sense. It's a violation of the Constitution's Fifth Amendment prohibition on taking property without just compensation and the Eighth Amendment prohibiting uh, prohibition on excessive fines and fees. And Minnesota is far from the only state that permits home equity theft. A PLF review of laws across the country found it allow, it's allowed in 12 states plus the District of Columbia. And uh, is permitted in um, limited situations in additional nine states. So what states are allowed this? Uh, Minnesota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Illinois, Alabama, New York, New Jersey, Maine, Arizona, Oregon, and Alabama. 
Um, and Minnesota is not the worst offender in this. Who's the worst offender? New Jersey, of course. New Jersey forced 661 homes into foreclosure and sale, resulting in a loss of nearly $115 million in equity uh, during the same 2014 to 2021 period. Uh, but Illinois is the number one home equity robber, taking in nearly $400 million in equity from 4719 So I guess New Jersey isn't the worst. This doesn't seem fair, does it? It really doesn't seem fair. So we'll follow this. Um, there's another lawsuit out there in Massachusetts um, where um, a guy owed $60,000 in fines and back taxes. They sold his house for 370000 kept the whole 310000 in equity. Now, I don't know why, first of all, why um, – and the same Pacific Legal Foundation is representing this guy. Um, but um, – why not just take a home equity loan and pay the debt and get, get them out of your hair? Why, why would you let it go that far where they would, um, you know, t- seize your house and sell it and do that? I don't know. Uh, all right. For months and months, I've been telling you that we're going to have major food shortages, uh, not only in places where we're accustomed to seeing it, like in Africa, uh, we're going to see it worldwide, and we're going to see it here as well. And the worst case scenario is starting to play out um, right in front of our eyes. Uh, and I told you what some of the problems are. You know, some of the problems are <coughs> the price of fertilizer, the availability of fertilizer. Uh, which is very short in supply. You know, they're blaming the Ukrainian war on that. A lot of it comes from Russia and Ukraine. Um, uh, and uh, we're seeing uh, uh, weather issues worldwide. We're seeing supply chain issues. We're seeing disease uh, in both livestock and crops worldwide. It's almost like a perfect storm. It's almost like it's planned. Hmm. Could it be planned? like everything else that's happening right now. So we have uh, a tightening supply of food worldwide. Prices are surging all over the planet. And the number of hungry people, desperately hungry people, in the world is exploding. Now, we here in the United States, we don't hear a lot about this because we still could go into our supermarkets and still see food there. We may not be able to afford it. We may need to pull out that credit card. And increase our record high balances to get it, uh, but we're still not hungry. Now, some people are hungry in the United States because they can't afford enough food. I mean, uh, the demand for food banks uh, is record highs, right? So, uh, you know, people here are hungry too. But most people in the Western world uh, do not understand how badly the conditions are uh, in other places uh, on the planet. Uh, we're seeing the worst food crisis in Africa than ever before. Now, we're used to seeing famines, you know, in Africa. Uh, but now experts are saying that um, we're experiencing a food crisis that is bigger and more complex than a continent has ever seen, says diplomats and humanitarian workers. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. I mean, the worst crisis in famine in Africa. And there's, like I said, there's been many famines in, in Africa, but 
never as bad as it is right now. And I haven't been seeing that on TV. Have you, Paul? Have you seen stories of you know Africans starving to death? I, I haven't. Right? We don't know about this stuff. Also, um, in the Middle East, a severe shortage of wheat is forcing uh, many Pakistanis to wait in line for hours to receive a single bag of flour. Uh, would you wait in line hours for one bag of flour? I guess if you were desperately hungry, you would. And that's what's happening there. Uh, South America, anti-government protest in Peru, which show no signs of ending. The country is currently facing a shortage of basic products, including food. Uh, Australia, there's a potato shortage. Apparently, their big potato heads are down there. They like their potatoes. There's shortages of potatoes. Um, in the United States here, we're seeing shortages of eggs. Uh, we talked about that a lot lately. Price of orange juice just skyrocketed to a record high this week because of a disease called, uh, what do they call it? Greening disease. So we're going to have, um, the USDA predicts Florida citrus production will reach 44.5 million boxes this year. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? 44.5 million, but it's not. It's going to be the smallest orange harvest since 1945. How about that? And again, this is due to greening disease and hurricane damage in Florida's citrus groves. So in 1945, the last time we had this little amount of oranges, there were 139 million people in the United States. Today, there's 329 million. So there's far less oranges per person now. Now, we mentioned this in in shows gone past. uh, National uh, cattle herd is shrinking. Remember I told you last year that a lot of ranchers were bringing their cattle to slaughter early because of um, lack of grazing land due to drought. By the way, it looks like maybe the drought is breaking, especially in California, which is the largest growing area for vegetables and fruits. So, I mean, uh, we've had major storms there we've seen with the flooding and everything else. But more importantly... Um, they're saying that the snowpack in the mountains in California um, are, are very, very high right now, and that may you know, dent uh, the drought that we've been in. Uh, that would be good news, at least um, maybe for uh, produce prices. But with uh, beef prices, uh, they were, they were uh, bringing their, 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 their cattle to slaughter early. They weren't even fully grown yet because they were afraid that they were going to die, and they'd get nothing for them. So that means we have less now. Chicken farmers around the country um, have reported, you know, 59 million chickens had to be killed because of bird flu. Um, Assuming it is bird flu. How about this? Chicken farmers around the country are saying their hens have suddenly stopped laying eggs. Did you hear about this? How does that happen? Uh, And again, you know, it's hard to hear anybody reporting on this. Uh, And they're saying it has something to do with the food. That they've done something to the food that's preventing chickens from laying eggs. It was also announced this week that an antibody in chicken egg yolks battle COVID. I wonder if that goes hand in hand. They don't want, they don't want you to get those antibodies. Um, and more Americans than ever are suddenly interested in raising their own chickens, which has sparked a buying frenzy at local hatcheries. A Google search interest in raising chickens has jumped markedly from a year ago. 
And uh, hatcheries can't keep chickens in stock. So we have food problems. It's going to get worse as the year goes on. Um, and uh, we'll report it to you here on the program uh, as it goes. So uh, best investment you can make right now, buy food. It's only going to be more expensive if available. So stock up on anything that's non-perishable. Uh, if you have the extra bucks, which most people don't, uh, stock your pantry as best you can with canned vegetables, canned foods, uh, uh, pasta, things that, that, that will not deteriorate uh, over time, or at least not for a long time. Uh, best investment you can make because, you know, best case scenario, it'll cost you 20% more for it a year from now. The worst case scenario is you won't be able to get certain products um, and and. I think that's the goal here, uh, to starve us all to death. Anyway, top of the hour, 732-237-9626 is the call number. My name is Luz Katigna. Don't go away. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. All right, welcome back to this thing of ours we call the financial physician. That's me, Lou Scatigna, certified financial planner and your money doctor. Live each and every Sunday on 92.7 WOBM. 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. If you want to listen live to the show and you're not on the Jersey Shore, you can't get the station, or you can't get it well, uh, you could just download the WOBM app. And on the app, you could just hit listen live. And anywhere you are, you could listen to the station live. Or you can go to thefinancialphysician.com, go to the radio app, and we have a listen live button there. uh, So you can listen to us live. Otherwise, you can get the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. It's up there right after the show is over. And uh, and many, many, many of you uh, listen to the podcast. It's kind of interesting because Paul says as soon as he puts it up at 9, you know, the listeners start coming in because we were on 9 to 11 on the AM side for so long that people are just so used to listening to the program Sunday mornings at that time. And they, you know, they just play the podcast as if it's live. Um, you could actually just jump through all the breaks we do too and, and listen to two hour program in an hour and a half. Um, and, and, and many of you do. So, uh, if you listen live, we love our live listeners. We also love our podcast listeners, uh, just as well. So no, no excuse to miss the financial, uh, physician. Um, now, we were talking about uh, food shortages. We were talking about people struggling to get by. And one of, the, one of our listeners called in and was talking to Paul and said, you know, people are spending money. He goes, I see, you know, a lot of people are buying RVs and RV parks are full of people. And I, and I said to Paul, that's because that's their homes now. You know, they've lost their houses and they're, they're buying RVs to live in. And that's true. Many people have downsized. Uh to RVs and things like that because they just couldn't afford their homes anymore, couldn't afford to rent. You know, they're, they're living in a van down by the river, right? Isn't that an old saying? Living in a van down by the river. 
So, uh, or they're using credit cards to spend money. As I said earlier in the first hour, uh, that credit card debt has gone up 18% in one year. Yeah, people, people may be spending money, but it isn't theirs. They're, they're borrowing it to get by. Here's another telling sign. Um, federal food stamps program hits record cost in 2022. Um, the cost of federal food stamps program, known as the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, SNAP, increased to a record $119.5 billion in 2022, according to data released by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Food stamp costs have literally exploded from $60.3 billion in 2019 to $120 billion in 2022. Wow, that's double. The amount of people on food stamps, or at least the amount of money going out of the program, and, and listen to this, it, it's really not necessarily so many more people in the program, they're paying more. In 2019, the average monthly benefit per person was $129.83. In 2022, it increased 75, uh, 78% to $230.88. So we're paying people $100 more a month per person in food stamps just in two years. The number of uh, participants in the program increased from $35.7 million in 2019 to $41.2 million in 2022. Now, this is kind of odd because... Why are we seeing record numbers of people on food stamps when supposedly the post-COVID lockdown employment picture has improved dramatically, right? We talked about how these crazy uh, phantom jobs are being created and the unemployment rates at a 54-year low. Why are so many more people on food stamps? Well, it really shouldn't surprise you. We all voted for the welfare state. More and more people are taking advantage of it, right? And the process is abused, of course. But soon we're going to depend on government for everything, right? Housing, for our food. And the more you depend on government for things, the less freedom you have. Right? Sure. And that's uh, that's where they want to get us. It's called socialism, right? Did you see the vote in Congress this week? Um, where they voted... <laughs> There was a bill about socialism and condemning socialism and dictatorships and all that. Eighty-something Democrats voted against it. Um, That tells you everything you need to know. Where they want to take us, right, is socialism. Um, Eighty-one Democrats. Well, let's call them. Eighty-one socialists. They're not Democrats, obviously. Uh, now, Americans do not say that inflation or immigration is the number one problem. You hear about the survey that, that's out last week. It's lack of leadership and government is the number one problem in the country right now. And I agree wholeheartedly with that because you wouldn't have inflation. You wouldn't have the other issues that we're all concerned about if we had good leadership. Now, last year and, you know, the year before, the number one spot was inflation in 2022. That's dropped. The number one thing is government. And that tells you a lot about Americans, what Americans think of their leadership in this country. And like I said, if we have um, 
good leadership, uh, we wouldn't have those other problems. Uh, and that's why they're further down the list. Of course, Republicans believe um, the government poor leadership is more of a problem, 24% than Democrats who think 18%. But that's still a, a high number. Republicans pick inflation in the economy, both at 18% as second most pressing problems, followed by um, uh, decline in morality, ethics, and family. 6% in the federal budget deficit, 5%. Democrats go with inflation at 11%, the economy at 9%, and then race relations, 9%. The environment, 6%. 45% of Americans rate the economy as poor. 38% as only fair, and 15% say good. Good economy. Is the 15% that say <laughs> it's the good economy? Uh, I guess they're in the top 15% of money earners, I would say. Uh, 72% of Americans believe the economy is going to get worse, while only uh, 22% think it'll get better. So, uh, interesting to see how Americans feel about their, their president, their government, and whatnot. Well, why should we have confidence in our leadership and our government after what we saw, which was the most embarrassing thing this country has really experienced in a long time? And that's this weather balloon, whatever you want to call it, from China uh, that went across the United States. It, it's, it just blow my mind to watch this. Uh, and watch us just allow this to happen. The world is laughing at us. I mean, you want to uh, destroy a superpower in two years or less, open up the borders, have wild inflation, spend money through the roof, arm the Taliban, turn your back on our Afghan allies, leave Americans behind, and bow to the Chinese. That's exactly what we're doing. Oh, not to mention create a domestic energy crisis by shutting down our energy. Promote nuclear war with Russia, that's good. So, uh, I mean, you really can't make this up. We allowed China to fly a spy balloon. They say it was a weather balloon. It wasn't a weather balloon. It was a spy balloon. We let it float across Alaska, the entire continental United States for 10 days. And then finally, we shoot it down when it's accomplished its job, when it's gone into the Atlantic Ocean. And of course, you know, Biden's coming out and saying, oh, you know, I, I wanted to shoot this thing down, but the military told me to wait until it's offshore so we don't hurt any civilians. That is BS, because we know that it could have been shot down in Alaska. It could have been shot down in Montana, which is very, very lightly populated. So that doesn't fly. Uh, so why would we allow that? That's the question I have, and I don't know the answer. Could it, believe, could it be that this government is bought and paid for by the Chinese and we'd let them do it? Now, of course, the Democrats think that that was fine. He handled it great. Well, Republicans saying it's just an embarrassment. And, you know, why would they do this? What kind of information can they get from that that they can't get from a satellite? I don't know. But it was right over... Our nuclear silos uh, uh, in Montana, I, I just don't see how the military would allow that.
and not not be shot down. It's just and now that it's shot down into the ocean. Are we going to able to recover it and see what's on it? What it was recording, what it was doing. I even read an article this morning that said that um, China's ship may even get there before we get there. It may be at least a week before we have a salvage ship available to go get it. I don't know if that's true, and I read it this morning. Oh, here it is. Uh, The U.S. military will not have a proper salvage vessel at the scene for several days. I tell you, these clowns are making a mockery of the United States. It's just amazing. Who's controlling our military? Uh, I, I just don't, I just can't believe it. Do you think Donald Trump would allow the China spy balloon to float across the country 4,000 miles for 10 days and then shoot it down after its work was accomplished? I, I don't get it. Now the U.S. military is concerned they may not reach the balloon wreckage before China can. The balloon was shot down six miles off the coast of North Carolina. They can't be serious, but they are. I mean, if that's the case, uh, I don't know what's going on. I mean, really, we can't, we can't recover this six miles off our coast before China gets to it. So why didn't we shoot it down over? our landmass, where we didn't have to compete with China to get it. It's just the opposite of everything we should be doing that's good for the United States. Uh, A senior military advisor told Fox News that the debris field was about seven miles wide, with the depth of waters estimated at 47 feet. While multiple Navy and Coast Guard vessels are in the area establishing a security and search perimeter, the senior advisor said the official salvage vessel won't arrive until a couple of days. So where is it going to be? Um, everybody I've talked to about this is shocked by it. They just can't believe it, that we, we would allow this to happen. We should have took that out. And by the way, we knew this was coming. For days in advance. And the administration didn't say anything till somebody started reporting on it and showing videos of it over Montana. So all the Republicans in this Congress are asking, you know, um, why was it allowed to drift over the continental United States first if it was worth shooting down, right? Why do we shoot it down after it did its job? Why didn't we just let it go? It's, you know, not on the United States anymore. Now, of course, China came out, and they're all upset. (laughs) They're all upset that we shot it down, Uh, saying that uh, China claims the right to respond further after U.S. shoots down spy balloon. The Chinese government said Saturday that President Biden's decision to shoot down the spy balloon that crossed America was an excessive reaction and that it retains the right to respond further. China claims that its balloon was a civilian airship and not the spy device the U.S. claimed it to be. And the U.S. decisions to destroy its property seriously violates international convention. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you, put, you put something in our airspace over our country, we have no right to shoot it down, uh, which we should have done from the beginning. Insanity. Number one issue of Americans is lack of leadership. And there you saw it right there. Uh, just in such a... I was personally embarrassed by this. Personally. Uh, and everybody I talked to couldn't believe it. 
All right, the phone number here is 732-237-9626. Let's take our caller, Steve from Tom's River. Steve, good morning. How are you? Good morning, sir. I listen to you every Sunday. I used to listen to Bob Levy. Your uh, screener knows me very well. Uh, You just made a comment a few minutes ago about food stamps. Now, I'm 75, and I got a lot of underlying conditions, Parkinson's, you name it, I got it. Anyway, what they were doing during the pandemic, they were giving it a, a little over $500 extra. So we were getting $740 a month on the first of the month. Well, they stopped the pandemic portion, and now my food stamps for a family of three adults is going to drop to $171. That's an average of $55 a person. Why so low? I don't. I don't understand. Uh, I have no. I, I, I bring in two thousand eight hundred and thirty-five dollars from Social Security, and my rent is twelve fifty. You do the math. Yes, it's uh, it's very very difficult. And, and what you're going through is uh, what a lot of seniors are going through right now, where they're seeing themselves get squeezed due to inflation and the high cost of living, especially here in New Jersey. Uh, but uh, you know, they said that they raised the amount per person to two hundred and thirty nine or something like that. You know, so I don't know why yours is dropping so low. I don't know enough about the food no stamp. Idea. I have I don't know enough about the food stamp program. Um, uh, yeah. To comment on it, I just read that that article and I thought it was interesting to bring to the program. But uh, uh, but you know, a lot of seniors don't know that they would qualify for food stamps. They think that you have to be of working age and everything else, and that's not true. So if you're struggling out there and you know you're retired, you absolutely can qualify, you know, for food assistance. You know, so you know, well, you uh, simple- we, 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 that's what we did. We we applied for food stamps. Well, I used to work full time until the pandemic hit, but that's before my Parkinson's started. And and uh, you know that's and then that's what we qualified for. And then they they started the pandemic to help people out. I'll give you an example. My daughter has five children. Now you know nobody told her to have five kids. You know what I mean? She's got a husband that don't work, and I mean I could go on and on and on. And they're making out like a bandit. They make out like a bandit. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I just don't understand their philosophy. And it says if you uh, want to appeal this decision, you can. You know, you're fighting city hall, brother. You I know, know, but I mean, hey, I would appeal anyway. You know, I have nothing to lose on it. Um, you know. But uh, yeah, it, it's a shame. I, I don't know how, uh, why, or how they lowered you so much. It just doesn't make any sense they to me. Go, and I, they, go, they, they, they go by your income. Mm-hmm. That's they do. That's how they determine whether you qualify or you don't. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they they have all my information. They know what rent I pay. They know what util- my utilities run, and that's what they calculated. One hundred and seventy-one dollars. Well, I, I would appeal. Uh, uh, I would appeal it and see what happens. Uh, uh, apparently, a lot of people are getting a significant amount of money in this food stamp program, so I certainly would appeal it and see uh, see what happens. Uh, uh, I think you may find yourself surprised that you may be successful at it. A lot of people won't appeal it thinking that, well, like you said, I'm fighting City Hall. Uh, I would appeal it and see what happens. Uh, you have nothing to lose. 
You got it. Listen, I enjoy your show, even though uh, <laughs> I don't invest in anything. I enjoy listening to you. Well, we talk about more than investments on this show, and we—I yeah, mean, yeah, I don't talk I about know. investments very much, actually, on this show. I talk about the economy, I talk about politics, I talk about current yeah. events, uh, yeah. uh, but we do follow, we do talk markets too, and everything else. So it's it's a little bit of everything here on the financial future, and that's why I didn't want it to be just pure financial. First of all, I can't fill two hours with financial information yeah. because I'd just be recycling the same stuff every few weeks. And um, and who wants to listen to two hours of that? Uh, but uh, we mix it up. Uh, we talk uh, money, politics. Politics affects our money, of course, right? Inflation and what's going on in Washington and what's going on around the world. I mean, our... Our, our, our economic lot in life really is being affected more by, by world events uh, than almost anything else. So, uh, you know, we mix it all up here uh, on The Financial Physician and have been doing it for, for, for 23 years. So uh, this is what we do. And that's why people like you listen, because, you know, you're not listening for the financial stuff, you know, um, primarily. You're listening for other reasons. So uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, I wish you luck with the food stamp situation that you're in. You're welcome, sir. My pleasure chatting with you. All right, Steve. All right, thank, thanks for the call. 732-237-9626. Now, uh, once we COVID started, um, uh, we were talking a lot about it on this program, obviously, um, when we were in the heat of the, of the pandemic. Uh, Steve said plandemic, if you listen closely, um, uh, which some people call it. Uh, and, uh, you know, they've rushed these vaccines. And I was saying on this program that, these vaccines are an experimental drug. I mean, nobody really knows how it's going to affect people. And people were so fearful that they were lining up for it. And um, and now we're starting to see, or you know, we have been for some time, the effect that these vaccines are having on people. A, it's not effective, number one. I mean, people are getting sick uh, with COVID that have been boosted and double vaxxed as a matter of fact uh, a recent article that i talked about on this program researchers are saying that uh, more people are getting covid that have been vaccinated and more people are dying of it that are vaccinated than aren't i should say injected because it's not really a vaccine um but uh we're starting to see uh, i mean alarming number of of vaccine injuries and deaths uh, and 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 I, I I print out. I mean, I ever see you know a headline of a young person dying or something. I print it out for the week, and uh, it's just every week it's becoming more. The piles becoming thicker and thicker and thicker. And I'm just going to read headlines because uh, it just it would take me an hour just to go through some of these things. Um, Tragic. Fully vaccinated and boosted six-year-old child dies suddenly. I want to talk about this one, okay? This, is, this, this one broke my heart. On January 25th, at age six, Anastasia Weaver passed away unexpectedly in the emergency room of Akron's Children's Hospital in Boardman, Ohio, surrounded by her family. Anastasia's mother, Jessica Day Weaver, said that her husband, Andrew Weaver, found Anastasia unresponsive at 6 a.m. in the morning when he got home. No details have been released about the cause of death. Imagine that, coming home from work after a night work and finding your, your six-year-old dead. Uh, in a now private Facebook post, Weaver revealed that she and her twin had received the COVID vaccine. Um, so uh, that's that. Uh, community remembers Cairo Police Department officer Clarence C.J. Williams dies, 23-year-old, 
after suffering a medical emergency during a foot pursuit on Saturday. His family and Fred said he died doing what he loved. They say it's a heartbreaking loss to everyone in the community since he made such an impact on so many lives. Uh, was he mandated to get the vaccination to keep his job? Most likely. Tributes paid to kind and caring Cheshire woman 19 after sudden death. Former National Football League player almost died from severe stroke. Uh, 35-year-old. American fashion model Jeremy Ruhlman, dead at uh, at 27. Cause of Jeremy's death is unknown at this time. I know. Uh, Australian Olympic bobsledder and rugby player dies suddenly at 35. Uh, The athlete's body was discovered in his home January 21st. Dunn's cause of death is still unclear. But authorities say it was not suspicious. Uh, the sudden death of a cadet playing for sporting club Del Hoover has shocked the Spanish football community. Estrella Martin, 14, died suddenly in her hometown of Ayamonte in southern Spain on Wednesday. She was found unresponsive in her home by her parents on Wednesday. Former linebacker, dead at 25, Detroit Lions' Jesse Lemonaire. 18-year-old freshman dies suddenly after collapsing during a workout. 18 years old. Medical emergency. This is just normal for 18-year-olds to have heart attacks. This is crazy. I tell you, more and more people becoming aware of this, and nobody's getting the vaccine anymore, the boosters. This is another heartbreaking one. Headline, they're killing us all with this now. Argentine mother outraged after losing her eight-year-old daughter after receiving COVID-19 vaccine. This woman is really making a fuss about it. Yamil Guavera from Mendoza, Argentina, expressed her outrage against the COVID-19 shot after the unexpected death of her daughter. Jasmine Antonia Guavera, her eight-year-old daughter, died on January 11th due to vasculitis, an inflammation of the blood vessels, which she developed after receiving her COVID-19 shot. Uh, My daughter was a healthy girl. She was never sick with anything. Apart from the famous COVID vaccine, my daughter started with problems with body aches and things she never had before. She was the first patient in Argentina with what was supposedly called vasculitis, and the doctors did not know how to treat her to the point of where she passed away, leaving a great pain in our family. Mrs. Guevara urged other mothers not to vaccinate their children. Do not vaccinate your children with the supposed COVID vaccine because they're killing us all with this now. It was my daughter. Tomorrow it could be your child. I want to fight against COVID vaccine. Just amazing how many people. Why would you inject your child? Kids don't get COVID. They don't die from it. Why are we giving our kids and mandating it? One good thing, in California, they just dropped the enforcement of uh, the mandate that kids in school get the vaccine, you know, kindergarten to to nine. Oh, thank God. Growing number of doctors say they won't get the COVID-19 boosters, citing a lack of clinical trial evidence. Doctors are saying this. Uh, What else do we have here on this COVID thing? Uh, re 
Researchers discovered that COVID drug created by Merck is causing virus mutations in patients. That's not good. So these virus mutations could become more deadly. Uh, What else do we have? Sudden decline in birth rates post-vaccination and the shocking silence. Daniel Horowitz. Uh, In 2010, Bill Gates famously articulated a four-part equation to reducing the world's carbon output. Seemingly bizarrely, his first component was reducing population through vaccination. You remember that? I I played the audio to that where he said vaccinations would, would be a way to do that. He said, this was his quote, Bill Gates, quote, now if we do a really good job on new vaccinations, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could um, bring down the population. Uh, Family in shock after the healthy 21-year-old son dies suddenly in his sleep. This is all this week, or last two weeks, right? 43-year-old tennis player dies suddenly during a match. Japanese researchers to file a lawsuit against Japan government for covering up the side effects of the COVID vaccine. Bombshell reports spike proteins invade all major organs, induce hyperaccelerated cellular aging, prompting shorter lifespan. This was um, interesting. Spike proteins associated with the COVID-19 virus and the mRNA vaccines could be causing accelerated degradation of cells in the human body, causing organs to biologically age more rapidly and bring on early death. I don't want to get into the details of that. You get the gist. Oh, the FDA came out. (laughs) Uh, You know, everyday Americans, people all around the world with no record of medical issues are suddenly dropping dead. Uh, Many people believe it's due to the vaccines. uh, But the FDA came out and said this week there's no evidence that the vaccines are causing sudden death. Okay. Leave your government. Leave your government. This is the quote from the FDA. The U.S. government has a well-established post-authorization, post-approval vaccine safety monitoring infrastructure in place to meet the needs of large-scale COVID-19 vaccination program. The U.S. government, in partnership with health systems, academic centers, and private security partners, are using multiple existing vaccine safety monitoring systems to monitor COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, The COVID-19 vaccines are not associated with sudden death. Believe your government. They don't ever lie to you. In Australia, death by heart attack surged to 17% in 2022. What changed? (laughs) Oh, Lord, 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 Lord. (laughs) Moderna announces development of mRNA shot to stop heart attacks. (laughs) So the the mRNA is causing heart attacks, and now Moderna is going to... is developing an arbor to stop heart attacks. Oh, unbelievable. Uh, it's just, uh, I've never, I'm, um, I don't, what's the word I want to use? Because I don't want to use unvaxxed, unjabbed, un, un, unoculated, unoculated. That's what I am. I'm unoculated. And I thank God every day that I am. 
and and uh, and I, I, you know, I take believe me, no pleasure in telling you this every week about all these people dying. Trust me, loved ones of mine are inoculated. All right, so uh, this is not something that makes me feel good. Um, but it was obvious to me early on that why would I want to take part in this gigantic experiment uh, with an untried, um, non FDA approved except for emergency authorization vaccine. Um, <laughs> there's a website, uh, IQFY.com. And I don't know if this is satire or it's serious, but the headline is, why didn't the unvaccinated do more to warn us? You saw that article? He pulls not in his head. Uh, uh, and I'm going to read a little bit of it. As the world struggles to come to terms with the devastating effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, one question that continues to surface is why the unvaccinated didn't do more to warn us about the potential dangers of being injected. While well-intended citizens lined up, did the right thing and received their COVID-19 vaccinations, now seeming uh, to do more harm than good, their unvaccinated friend stood by and let them do it. Some of them have said too little. Some said nothing at all, even though they knew what we didn't. Uh, this unvaccinated guy didn't stand by, and I'll tell you. Now, last week, I played uh, an audio of a Pfizer executive uh, talking about uh, m- mutating the viruses themselves, maybe, and causing a vaccination there. And, and I used an adjective to describe him that I probably shouldn't have used, uh, and uh, especially during this time of hypersensitivity, especially when you're talking about sexual preferences. This guy is gay. And I used a, a fiery term to describe him, and uh, obviously it caused some people to be distressed, uh, which in turn called the radio station and uh, caused some problems. So I want to apologize for that. I have to realize going forward how uh, hypersensitive people are these days to uh, to certain terms. And uh, uh, and uh, I will not use words like that going forward. Um, here's another article that came out. Uh, you know, we've been told to mask, right? Uh, everybody was supposed to mask, and they still want us to mask. In some places, they still have mask mandates in place. Well, there was little or no difference. Massive mask meta-study undermines remaining COVID mandates. An international research collaboration that reviewed several dozen rigorous studies of physical interventions against influenza and COVID-19 through last year failed to find even a modest effect on infection or illness rates from masks of all qualities. So masks don't work. But it was all part of the fear that they were trying to. Listen, you wouldn't take the, you wouldn't take the vaccine unless you were totally fearful. And let me tell you, every time you see somebody, every time you saw somebody, at least this is my experience, every time um, I saw somebody with a mask during the height of the pandemic, which was all of us because we all had to wear it, it induced a little fear in you, right? Like, look at everybody here. All these people, they're all masked because we're all going to die of this terrible disease. Uh, and, uh, and, and that was what it was all about, fear, because the more fearful you were, uh, Better chance you wouldn't get injected. Um, and now they're saying that even N95 masks did nothing. 
anyway, this as the year progresses, we're going to see more and more about about this. Oh, uh, by the way, you know, Project Veritas, which is the one who filmed this uh, Pfizer director that I, I played the audio last week on, uh, is uh, they released another segment of it where he stated his guy's name is Jordan Walker, uh, in which he said, um, now this guy's the director of research and development at Pfizer. He said the company's mRNA operation expressed concern over how the COVID-19 vaccine may be affecting women's reproductive health. This is a quote. There, there is something irregular about menstrual cycles, so people will have to investigate that down the line, Walker told an undercover journalist he thought was he was on a date with. Quote, the COVID vaccine shouldn't be interfering with the menstrual cycles, so we don't really know, he said. He goes on to say he hopes that we don't discover that somehow this mRNA lingers in the body and like because it has been affecting something hormonal to the impact of menstrual cycles. I hope we don't discover something really bad down the line. If something were to happen downstream and it was like really bad, I mean, the scale of the scandal would be enormous. So, again, this comes from Pfizer saying they're concerned about that. And we're seeing a lot of people now, um, you know, they're having miscarriages uh, or the infertility issues, menstrual issues, clotting, all kinds of stuff. This is going to go down in history as uh, one of the biggest, biggest crimes against humanity, I believe. I really do. Uh, let's take a break. 732-237-9626 is the call number here on The Financial Position. My name is Lou Skatigna. Don't go away. Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Position. Heard every Sunday, 7 to 9 a.m. right here on 92.7 WOBM-FM. Hey, it's that time again, income tax season. There has been many changes to tax rules the last few years. Some deductions have been eliminated and some have been expanded. Avoid IRS headaches by putting my 35 years tax preparation experience to work for you. I guarantee that your return will be accurate and in most cases will be prepared and ready for you in less than three business days. This season, I'm taking on a limited number of new tax clients. Call for an appointment today and receive a $100 discount off our already reasonable fee. Tax season does not have to be stressful anymore. Call and lock up your appointment at our downtown Tom's River office by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. AFM Investments has been providing financial planning and income tax preparation for over 35 years. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member FINRA, NSIPC, registered investment advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer. Top quality work at the most affordable rates. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could 
train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatinga at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatinga, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. I'm Lou Scatigna, certified financial planner, author, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician, heard each Sunday morning, 7 to 9, right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com. Don't let interest rates, inflation, and market volatility keep you awake at night. Come to my Tom's River office for a no-obligation, professional diagnosis of your financial health. I'll review your investments, income taxes, and retirement plan. I'll suggest a comprehensive financial estate plan that will improve your financial health, and most importantly, lower your financial risk during these uncertain times. If you are retired or plan to retire, I will show you strategies designed to increase your income and protect your estate from nursing home costs. Call us at 732-905-8100 and get on the road to a healthy financial future. That's 732-905-8100. Join me Sunday morning, 7 to 9 for The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM or listen to the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member of FINRA and SIPC, registered investment advisory service to afford Advisory Group. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. All right. Welcome back to the quickest two hours in radio. The financial physician we get together each and every Sunday live right here on 92.7 WOBM, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. every Sunday morning or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com where the podcast will be up right after the program. And, and I call it the fastest two hours in radio, and many of you tell me that that is goes so fast. But you know, I, I'm the host of this program. I sit here for two hours and talk into a microphone, and uh, it goes fast. You would think that it would drag. I mean, it's you know, listeners don't understand uh, a the preparation that goes into doing two hours of radio, but the energy it takes uh, to make it through 120 minutes. Uh, and we don't take a lot of calls on the show, so it's just me. And and uh, uh, it goes fast for me. Uh, I'm surprised. I just looked at the clock, and it's quarter of nine. We have 15 minutes left in the program. Uh, and and thankfully, I have enough stuff to talk about every week. I don't usually get to it all, but uh, it it goes fast here on the financial position. And um, and uh, that's because there is so much to talk about each and every week. Uh, a lot of it's bad, you know. As you know, I can't help that. And we live in a world now that's. Uh, upside down in so many different ways uh but there's more than enough stuff to talk about each week uh, it's good for the program uh if not good for us uh there's so much to talk about and again there's no objective journalism out there where you hear a lot of this stuff uh you have to go to alternative radio or podcast or something like that and uh giving uh Given uh, the political correctness and hypersensitivity of people, I, I might be podcast only soon myself um, because there's certain things you just can't say anymore. Um, and uh, and one thing is I, I'm not going to censor myself. I never have. Uh, when I feel that I have to, I'm going to go podcast only. Uh, but, but the thing is, there's no objectivity in news anymore. Listen to this. Um, uh there is a, a movement now in journalism schools that they want to do away with objective journalism. They want they want uh, what they call um, reactionary journalism or um, activist journalism. Uh, and uh, 
Here it is. Let me. Columbia Journalism Dean and New York writer Steve Kroll decried how the First Amendment right to freedom of speech was being weaponized to protect disinformation. Um, uh, in an interview with Stanford Daily, Stanford journalist Professor Ted Glasser insisted that journalism needed to be, quote, free itself from the notion of objectivity to develop a sense of social justice. He rejected the notion that journalism is based on objectivity and said that he views, quote, journalists as activists because journalism at its best, and indeed history at its best, is all about morality. Well, whose morality? Your morality or my morality? Journalists need to be overt and candid advocates for social justice, and it's hard to do that under the constraints of objectivity. Boy, they're not even lying to you about this anymore. Now they're just coming right out and say it. Uh, Lauren Wolf, the fired freelance editor of the New York Times, has not only gone public to defend her pro-Biden tweet, but published a piece titled, I am a biased journalist, and I'm okay with that. Former New York Times writer, and now Howard University journalism professor, Nicole Hannah-Jones, is a leading voice for advocacy journalism. She declared all journalism is activism. Um, she's the one that did the 1619 uh, project, totally fabricated uh, stuff about racism in the United States. Ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, polls show the trust in the media is at an all-time low, with less than 20% of citizens trusting television or print media. It's all propaganda, but they're okay with it now. They're all okay with it. They want to teach in journalism school not to be objective. Boy, how things have changed so much. Uh, and not for the better, people. <laughs> it's just, you just shake your head at some of this stuff. Uh, censorism. Uh, thousands of terminated far-left big tech workers. Now, you're hearing that, you know, Twitter's laying off tons of people and Google and everything else. So thousands of these terminated uh, left-wing big tech workers may soon have prominent positions in America's most notorious spying agency. The NSA, the National Security Agency, is embarking on one of their biggest hiring sprees in the last three decades. Big tech workers have utilized their power to collect personal data, cancel conservatives on social media, and collude with Democrats to cover up scandals. They have also failed to protect children from sick pedophiles online as well. So now the NSA is currently hiring 3,000 new employees. Um, and they're looking towards these tech workers. This can't, nothing can go wrong here, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough the social media now now the national security agency is going to hire these people uh, unbelievable uh, the government is becoming more and more weaponized as we see with the FBI the Justice Department and it's being weaponized against you know Republicans and conservatives not everybody I was blown away by by this article you know, the FBI is expanding. The Bureau is reportedly planning to build a new headquarters. Now, listen to this. It's going to be twice the size of the Pentagon. <laughs> Let that sink in for a second. The Pentagon is the largest office building in the world. Uh, and they want to build 
Uh, FBI headquarters, twice the size. Now, that raises a few obvious questions here. Uh, Why do they need such a massive building, number one? Are they going to be hiring thousands and thousands of FBI agents to fill it? I mean, recently, you know, millions of Americans come to see that the FBI is a politicized agency, which does the bidding of the Democratic Party. Uh, So why shouldn't we be concerned about the government's plans to build a new FBI headquarters twice the size of the Pentagon? Uh, Riveted into the colossal new project are woke regulations to ensure that the FBI Center will comply with diversity, equity, LGBTQ+, and climate change political goals. <laughs> Jesus. Unbelievable. Uh, the plan unveiled last September has received little attention. Plans for the new FBI headquarters specify that it will be built on one of three sites in suburban Virginia and Maryland. Those sites are large parcels of 58 acres, 61, or 80 acres. That means at minimum, the new FBI headquarters complex would be twice the size of the Pentagon building. The Pentagon, until recently, was the largest office building in the world. This, this, this news is a little more than creepy to me. You know what I mean? A little creepy. Uh, I want more transparency on this. I want to see what they're doing with our tax dollars. Really. Crazy. Uh, what else do we have here? We're hitting the bottom of um, of the stack here, which is highly unusual. I don't usually get through everything, but I'm almost there. All right, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, over 70% of children aged 7 to 12 are now afraid of climate change. Well, I wonder why. You think it's being indoctrinated into them every day in school? Um. More than 70% of children aged 7 to 12 are now afraid of climate change, according to the results of a survey. Um, They're worried about it. They can't sleep at night. Um, It's given them mental health difficulties. They're afraid that they're, uh, what's going to happen to them? And uh, 27% of respondents said the impact uh, of global warming, uh, they're more concerned about the effect it has on animals. Maybe they're worried about their dog or cat. Um, Why don't they uh, worry about their math scores uh, instead of worrying about global warming? I don't know. Uh it's amazing what the what schooling and lack of schooling and shutdowns have done to the mental health of children. Many young people are already experiencing major mental health difficulties for a wide variety of reasons, with some experts even suspecting that the on and off worldwide COVID lockdowns have serious detrimental effect on the well-being of children. Kids have the highest level of anxiety I've ever seen. Anxiety about basic safety and fear of what could happen, one Colorado school counselor told the New York Times. This is kind of sad stuff. I mean, the CDC has reported that 44% of American teenagers reported themselves as experiencing persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. It's almost half of our teenagers. 20% of teenagers said they had contemplated suicide. 
9% said they attempted suicide at least once during 2020. This is sad stuff. Uh, in the United Kingdom, teenage girls are in the midst of a mental health epidemic with 54% of 16 and 17-year-old girls reported as experiencing elevated psychological distress over the last 12 months. And 11% have attempted suicide. What are we doing to our children? What are we doing to them? And how do we make this better? It starts in the education system. That's my guess. All right. Let's see. Uh, in some of the craziness that's going on around the world, political correctness and what? Watch what I say here. Just reading an article. Uh, Norway's University of Bergen is funding a study called How Norway Made the World Whiter, or Norwhite, to answer the pressing question of whether or not white paint helped historically contribute to the white supremacy and helped them make the world whiter. You know, white paint is racist now. The question is posed from a historical perspective, looking at if and how the creation and widespread use of titanium white paint contributed to toxic views on waste, on race. It's a, you almost have to laugh because it's so silly. So what are we going to do? If you have a white house, you got to paint it a different color. Maybe rainbow. You got to paint it rainbow. <laughs> How about this one? Uh, again, I'm just reading the news. I'm a reporter. Uh, Norwegian actress faces three years in prison for saying men can't be lesbians. She may go three years in prison for saying that. Uh, it's absurd. Um, various countries' laws are getting narrower and narrower over what can or cannot be said regarding gender identity. A woman in Norway is being threatened by the government with a stiff prison sentence for the alleged hate speech crime of pointing out that a man cannot become a lesbian. Uh, what's more is that the filmmaker and actress currently under investigation by Norwegian authorities is herself a lesbian and quite prominent personality in popular culture as well. <laughs> so even a lesbian can't say a man can't become a lesbian and get, get in trouble. Uh, what else? Uh, you know, it's kind of like 10 years ago, you went to sleep and you woke up now. And you're in an entirely different world. I feel like I'm living in a science fiction movie of some kind. With not a good ending. Beginning or middle, for that matter. I mean, don't you just scratch your head some days and say to yourself, did I just fall in the rabbit hole? Did I go through some kind of vortex where I came out into a different world? Kind of like it's a wonderful life, right? Yeah, like he was never born. But this is, you can make a movie and nobody would believe it of the last three to five years. Uh, from the virus and the vaccine to the, uh, this, um, this gender stuff with kids and everything that came on and, uh, the political correctness run amok. Uh, it's just insane. And, you know, how many people are just, contributing to this insanity it's just amazing it's like everybody's 
minds have been taken over and it's craziness. But we'll report it to you here each and every week because that's what we do here on The Financial Physician. We talk money, markets, politics, political correctness, and any of the crazy things happening in our world. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember the website. If you miss any of the show, go to the podcast. It's up right after the show's over, thefinancialphysician.com. Just click on the radio tab. Uh, my email address, love your emails, lou at thefinancialphysician.com, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. My office number, you want to make a tax appointment or a financial planning appointment, 732-905-8100, 732-905-8100. Remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. <laughs>